BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. was an important year in the history of the United States. In January, Abraham Lincoln was elected as president. Lincoln was a known opponent of slavery, and immediately the South Carolina legislature saw a threat and took action by calling a state convention. The delegates voted, and the result was that South Carolina was removed from the Union, known as the United States of America. Mississippi Alabama, Georgia, Louisiana, Texas, and Florida followed suit, with Arkansas, Tennessee, North Carolina, and Virginia following in April 1861. These states formed the Confederate States of America. Over the coming months, the differences between free states and the slave states escalated. And on Friday the 12th of April, 1861, the Confederate Army opened fire on the Federal garrison at Fort Sumter, forcing them to lower their American flag and surrender. This state will always be remembered as the event that triggered the start of the American Civil War, the bloodiest war in American history. Meanwhile, in Gilmanton, New Hampshire, Levi Horton Mudgett and Theodate Page Mudgett, both aged 33, were excited about the imminent arrival of their third child. The family lived at 500 Providence Road, in a large, tall, white-paneled house near the center of Gilmanton. The house, built in 1825, still stands today 
and looks relatively unchanged on the outside, from photographs taken at the time. According to Zillow, it now has three bedrooms, one bathroom, and spans 1,344 square feet. While Levi worked hard as a farmer, heavily pregnant Theodate managed the home and looked after their children, Ellen, age nine, and Arthur, age five. Theodate was grateful that the winter months were finally over and that the warmer weather had started to arrive. At nine, Helen was a great help around the house to Theodate, assisting with the daily chores and running around after her little brother, Arthur. It was just a month after the American Civil War started. On Thursday, May 16, 1861, that Theodate gave birth to a bouncing baby boy, who they named Herman Webster Mudgett. Herman was followed by two more children, Henry in 1866 and Mary, 1871. The children had a privileged childhood, growing up in an affluent household. The family were devout Methodists. However, as is often the case, while it looked like an idyllic family life from the outside, the children grew up in a very strict house with a disciplinarian as a father. It's alleged that Herman's father, Levi, was also a raging alcoholic. Their heavily religious mother was cold and distant, using her religion to guide her parenting. As well as mental abuse, the children suffered physical abuse and even corporal punishment was common. The children were often hit with a rod. They were deprived of food. Their father allegedly held kerosene-soaked rags over their mouths to keep them quiet, and sometimes they were put into isolation, being locked in the attic as a form of punishment. The latter was Herman's preferred form of punishment. He actually enjoyed the solitude of being locked in the attic and was more than happy to be sent there to spend time alone with his thoughts. Herman was a mama's boy. He spent his time reading, with particular favorite authors being Jules Verne, who wrote 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea, and Edgar Allan Poe, famous for his poems and dark short stories. He was a small, somewhat odd child who was unusually bright. His stature and intelligence led him to being bullied by some of his schoolmates, at Gilmanton Academy, where he attended school. The town was small, and the school building was across the road from Herman's family home. In one particular incident, Herman's schoolmates played a very cruel trick on him. Discovering that Herman was afraid of the doctor's office that he had to walk past on his way home from school, the children grabbed him. They dragged him kicking and screaming to the doctor's office, which was always left unlocked. They opened the door. And to their delight, the office was empty. In the corner of the office, there was a skeleton. Herman was forced to stand face to face with the skeleton, while the bullies grabbed the bone hands and held them to Herman's face, cupping his cheeks. In an article on the New England Historical Society website about Herman, He is quoted as saying this about the episode. It was a wicked and dangerous thing to do as a child, of tender years and health, but it proved an heroic method of treatment, destined ultimately to cure me of my fears, and to inculcate in me 
First, a strong feeling of curiosity, and later a desire to learn, which resulted years afterwards in my adopting medicine as a profession. There is also a quote in this article from Eric Larson, author of The Devil in the White City, who wrote, Far from struggling and shrieking, he merely gazed at the skeleton with cool appreciation. We will never know how this incident affected Herman in later life, but it seems to have been a defining moment for him, and something that he always remembered. As I mentioned earlier, Herman's father, Levi, was a strict disciplinarian, and one of his methods of punishment was to lock the children in the attic to reflect on their actions. The attic was a small, boarded room, with a large window at one end that let light flood in. The window overlooked the street below, so that you could sit by the window and watch the world go by. In this well-lit room, Herman would use his isolation time there to read books and perform one of his favorite hobbies, animal dissection. Herman was a curious child, with an interest in medicine and a fascination surrounding death. By the age of 11, Herman would conduct experiments on all manner of live animals, from lizards and frogs to dogs and cats. Sometimes he would experiment on them, disabling them and torturing them while keeping them alive. But most of the time he would ultimately kill them, storing their bones in a little wooden box that he kept hidden in his room. He was fascinated by the bones and would take out his morbid treasures to gaze at and play with. The dissections intensified his curiosities and his interest in medicine, particularly biology, along with perfecting his flesh-cutting skills. At the same age that Herman started to dissect animals, he witnessed the death of his friend, a slightly older boy named Tom. Herman and Tom often went out exploring, and on this particular day, they were investigating an old abandoned house. They were upstairs, running from room to room, when Tom fell from the upstairs landing and died. Herman was just 11. He witnessed the whole incident fold, his friend losing his footing, seeing his friend fall to death, and the inevitable cries before he landed with a thud. But was it an accident? Did he lose his footing? Or was he pushed? Many people believe that Herman actually pushed Tom from behind and stood watching him fall to his death in the hallway below. However, this is just speculation. There is no proof either way. What we do know is that this incident probably had a huge impact on Herman. At the age of 16, Herman graduated from the local high school and started working as a teacher at a school in Alton, New Hampshire. It was here that Herman met his wife, Clara Lovering. Clara came from a good background. Her father was a wealthy local farmer and also represented the district in the New Hampshire State Legislature. Clara fell in love with Herman. She found him extremely attractive and wanted to be with him. 
but his constant need for sex bothered her, as he did not like to take no for an answer. The couple courted for a little over a year before eloping in early July 1878, when Herman was just 19 and Clara was almost 18. Less than two years after their marriage, on February 3, 1880, Clara gave birth to their first and only child, Robert Lovering Mudgett. By 1880, Herman was bored of teaching. He needed a change, but he also had a young family to support. So he moved to Concord, took a job at a local grocery store, and left his wife and son living with his parents in Gilmanton. But retail wasn't for Herman. He was tired of working in menial jobs and decided that he wanted to become a doctor. He sat down with Clara and told her of his dream. Of course, this meant years of studying and attending medical school. The timetable would be grueling. It was expensive, and he had a wife and child to support. But Herman was in luck. Clara, wanting a better future for them both, was supportive of her husband's dream and agreed to support the family while he went to medical school. And so it was that Herman went off to study medicine at the University of Vermont in Burlington, Vermont, before transferring to the University of Michigan just a year later. Herman rarely took trips home to visit his wife Clara, his young son Robert, and his parents. Clara supported the family by working for various families, providing a range of services that they requested, such as sewing and cleaning. The University of Michigan was like a dream come true for Herman. This medical school concentrated on dissection, which, of course, was a bit of a specialty for Herman. It was while Herman was studying in Michigan that he started his criminal career. He would steal cadavers from graves and morgues and use them to make false insurance claims after performing experiments on them. Herman was a master con man, and many insurance companies fell for his tricks. One of his favorites was inventing pseudonyms for himself, taking out insurance policies, naming himself as a beneficiary, and then making a claim. During one of his summer breaks, Herman earned money by working as a traveling salesman for a book publisher in Illinois. But not one to miss a trick, Herman kept all the proceeds, rather than just taking his commission. It was while doing this job that Herman fell in love with Chicago, a place that would dominate his life later on. Herman's life of crime paid off. He had various small claims, but after he received a substantial payout of $12,500, which is around $350,000 today, from a fraudulent life insurance claim, Herman was set up and ready to start his new life. Of course, his wife... Clara and his son were still there in the background, but Herman really wasn't interested in going back to his previous life and settling down. He had money, he was charming, and he was ready to enjoy life. As we deep dive into these chilling tales, we all need a moment of escape, a way to unwind without the shadow of the night creeping in. Here's where recess mood comes in. Crafted with real fruit and infused with mood-lifting magnesium and stress-balancing aptogens, Recess Mood is your guilt-free retreat. 
with just 20 calories, no added sugar. It's not just a sparkling water. It's a sanctuary and a can. Imagine unwinding during a gripping episode of Foul Play with a can of strawberry rose, or my favorite, raspberry lemon, letting the stress melt away without the aftermath of alcohol. It's my little secret to staying balanced in the chaos of a busy life. You deserve a healthier way to unwind, to recharge, and to prepare for the next journey into the unknown with foul play. And for the devoted foul play listeners, you deserve a healthier way to unwind. Head to takearecess.com shane to get 15% off Recess Mood, your go-to alcohol replacement. Herman graduated in 1884 with an MD. Being a doctor was the perfect cover for Herman to continue killing. No one would question the tools and resources that he purchased for his activities. They would just assume he needed them for his job. So, he had fulfilled his dream and had become a doctor. Now it was time for him to find somewhere to practice. Herman thought that this was going to be easy, but it turned out to be more difficult than he expected. He ended up taking any job that he was offered, sending a little back to support his family. He took a sales job in Portland, Maine. While traveling for this job, he was offered a job as a grad school principal in Moore's Forks, New York, which he readily accepted. This job was, however, short-lived, as Herman was accused of foul play. When a young boy who was in his care disappeared, it was time for him to move on. Herman quickly left the area, briefly going home to his long-suffering wife, Clara, and their son, Robert, before traveling to Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Here he worked as a housekeeper at Norristown State Hospital. But true to form, this job lasted just a few days before he quit. He stayed in Philadelphia and found work in a drugstore. Though following an incident where a boy died after purchasing medicine from the store, he was again on the run. It was time for a change. Herman Webster Mudgett needed to change his name to protect his identity against previous crimes and victims. Otherwise, he was never going to get a job as a doctor. So Dr. Henry Howard Holmes or as you probably know him, H. H. Holmes, was born. It was 1885. Holmes was 24 with a wife, a child, and a string of unsuccessful jobs behind him. So armed with his new name, Holmes was ready for a fresh start. It was time to go back to the place where he loved all those years ago. Chicago was calling him. Holmes arrived in Chicago a qualified doctor with a clean history and no family ties. Well, that's what he told everyone anyway, and why would they question it? Holmes found himself a job in a drugstore on 63rd Street in Inglewood owned by Elizabeth S. Holton. While he lacked experience, he had his medical degree knowledge to fall back on, and that, coupled with a charming personality secured the position for him. Holmes went on to own that drugstore, though exactly how and when he acquired it is uncertain. 
There are numerous reports and articles that give different versions of events. The most widely accepted story is that the pharmacy was owned by Dr. Holton, an elderly man who died from cancer. Holmes then purchased the store from his overburdened widow, Miss Elizabeth Holton. Of course, it's not that simple. Some say that Holmes may have killed Dr. Holton. Many say that Holmes never actually paid Miss Holton for the store, and that after trying to sue him, she gave up and moved to California. Others think that Holmes killed Miss Holton when she sued him for non-payment. Another story is that Holmes was just a hard-working employee who eventually bought the store from the Holtons, who were both healthy and continued to live in Inglewood. We will, of course, never know what the truth actually is. But I guess we all have our theories, right?